is it is it is the financial system falling apart? They need to force us to use the vaccines. Well, remember, they're moving to peak centralization. They're trying to centralize control of everything in our lives. And so it's not just about the vaccine. It's about getting our entire life under control by one central authority as opposed to an individual government or whatever. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. You may know me as Green Smoothie Girl online, but I'm also, since March of 2020, Take Action for Freedom. Uh, We have an army all over the country. I came right out of the gates with the freedom fight in Utah and have made a strategic relocation to, uh, to Florida in the last year. And I started trying to figure out what I was going to do with my investment. I've been a good little girl saving, investing my whole life. And I started selling stuff off. I'm so excited to introduce you to somebody I've been following since I started trying to figure out what am I going to do investment-wise. And this is before we started the Insider's Mastermind. For those of you wanting to get started in cryptocurrencies, some of you, I'm going to share this interview with you. Um, And if you guys want to join us, you can in the Crypto Mastermind. If you have not yet seen my two-hour webinar, on why I shifted my holdings out of lots of real estate into lots of crypto. Um, You can find it on the takeactionforfreedom.com website slash crypto hyphen webinar. Crypto hyphen webinar on the takeactionforfreedom.com website. But so I started following this guy, Mark Moss, and I'm just like, what would I do if I had an hour with Mark Moss? He, like me, is super interested in history. Mark, um... I used to teach civics, American history, and political science at a university level. And then all my macroeconomics, I was so rusty. And I was just like, what in the hell is going on here starting about a year and a half ago? And you've, you're, you're way down the same rabbit hole as you talk openly about the New World Order. I never, talk, I never hear you talking about the V word. You never say the V word. We do on this show. But anyways, what, welcome to the Vibe Show. So happy to have you. Uh, thanks so much, Rob, and I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to talk about that word on your show if you want. Uh, I try to walk the line on my show. Unfortunately, I can't imagine that we're here today. I love the fact of what you're just saying, how you kind of pivoted your brand. Um, you know, the green smoothie thing. I mean, I'm all about health. Health is super important. I think we should look at health as an asset. Uh, but you know, the 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 big job at hand today is protecting freedom. Uh, it's more important than anything else that we have to deal with at this point. Um, I try and tell my um, my subscribers and my followers that the reason why we focus on money, the reason why we're trying to build wealth isn't just so we can pile it up. It's so we can help more people and we have more options for freedom. And so um, that's why it's important. But man, uh, yeah, freedom's under attack. And uh, I love to hear your pivot. And it's my pivot as well. It's, it's the most important thing. Yeah, like 10 minutes before... I was supposed to go live with you and everybody should just thank their lucky stars because I almost had to cancel this for technical issues, but finally magically got this thing going. But I just want to give you a taste of what my, um, my uh, people on Telegram, I'm in Facebook jail right now. It's the fifth time I've gone to Facebook jail for 30 days. Um, 
we're going to, at the end, talk about this event you're having in Miami. And I really might go. Like, I just avoid traveling these days because I find the whole experience so grueling. And so well, you're in Florida. You're in Florida already. But I'm in Florida. So it, it's a, it's still a long drive. I mean, Florida is one big, long state. But um, it's still like... Well, I'd, love to, I'd love to have you. And I'm happy to throw you some platinum level tickets if you want to come down, be a VIP guest. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, that, sway that you a little bit. Fun. Yeah, and 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 to get to um, hang out with you, say all your friends who are, and I know you're deep in the crypto world too, and, and I want to get into that. But just for fun, I'm going to like read you some of the questions that came in when I asked yeah. ten minutes before we went live. Um, Jay asked, "Best action plan to get off the grid and out of the new world order." Bernie said, "Are fiat so dead that they need to enforce vaccine uptake and climate change policy as a condition of access to a new digital currency?" Kelly asked, what do we do with our 401k if markets or fiats are going to crash? L. Dobson asked, I'm newly retired and I'm stuck on the best place to put retirement funds. Insurance companies, annuities, are they safer than markets or banks? I mean, so like just like, like the few that I had time to write down were like such good questions, but I'm going to be a little bit selfish and kind of talk about uh, the things that are really on my mind, like all the bubbles okay that I think are just on the very edge of bursting and like what the timeline is that you see for them. But I want to start with something that you do that's very macro level that I really like and talking about these revolutionary cycles. But I should mention, you guys, another thing is I almost didn't go live to put this on all of my, you know, YouTube, Rumble, BitChute, Brighteon channels because I look like an idiot. And so if all of you are like, since when does Green Smoothie Girl wear a baseball hat? I am burning... Um, I do it about once a year, burning pre-cancers off of my forehead. I always have them somewhere. It's the uh, the joys of having played outdoors with a sunscreen phobia, you know, competitive sports my entire life while being very yeah. fair-skinned. So anyway, that's why <laughs> I look like this, y'all. That's why. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll get real green smoothie grow back next week. Hey, it's okay. the content. It's the content that matters, right? <laughs> right. I decided to throw vanity on the fire and show up like this Good. with my... With my you know, like my crush, Mark Moss. And I, I almost canceled because I didn't want to look like a dork, but we're here. No, for the that's content. good. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you talk about something very interesting, which is that on a very high level, if you step way back into outer space and look at what's been going on on planet earth, there are three revolutionary cycles. that are all sort of converging right now. And that helps you make sense of what's going on. Will you, will you tell our audience about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so you you talked about being a, a history teacher, and we both kind of share that that joy or that love for history. I think you know the saying is that those that don't know history are bound to repeat it. Um, but more importantly, I think that history helps us understand uh, how we got here, what's going on today, and then even more importantly, where we're going in the future. So that's why I love history. Um, I think you had mentioned a couple things, uh, some of the questions in your Telegram group, for example. And so listening to some of those questions, I can see that people are looking too micro at the situation and they need to pull back a little bit. So one example was somebody said, um, is our financial system in such disarray that they have to force vaccines so that we stay in their financial system or something like that? Um, that's too micro. It's not about, it's not about vaccines. It's about pushing our whole life into one switch where we're uh, required to show something to participate in society. So the vaccine is a piece to get us there. So that's too micro. And if you understand the bigger picture, it comes clear. So uh, a real quick example, I'll I'll go through it pretty quickly. And if you want to dig in, we can. Um, And so um, when we're looking at like financial markets, typically we're 
trying to find indicators. Uh, so those could be all different types of indicators. There's hundreds or there's you know thousands of indicators we can look at. Um, but the thing with indicators is you don't want to just look at one. You're trying to look at a bunch of indicators and then find where they're all kind of showing the same thing. Now, a lot of people see the problems in the financial system per the messages in Telegram. Um, and, and a lot of people see that um, interest rates are at zero or in half the world, they're negative already. So that means you're paying to loan money. Uh, we can see that uh, debt levels are astronomical. I mean, in the United States, they're now battling over this debt ceiling. Uh, at the time of this recording today, I think they extended it down to December 3rd. So they've kicked it down a, a little bit. Um, we have, you know, three, $400 trillion of debt in the world that's been created in the last 50 years. Um, and so we can see that things are breaking apart all over the world. Supply chains are breaking down, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what we can see is that the financial system is ready for reset. They're actually calling for the reset. As a matter of fact, uh, these financial cycles work on about an 80-year time frame. So, 80 years ago was the Bretton Woods Agreement, which is when the United States went onto the gold standard and the entire world went onto the entire world went onto a single monetary standard, the gold standard. Well, 80 years later, today, we have the IMF a few months ago came out and called for a Bretton Woods II. So what does that mean? Well, Bretton Woods one was when the entire world changed the monetary standard and they're calling to change it again. And so we can see it's breaking apart. We can see they're actually telling us they need to do this, all these things. Um, and so that's an indicator. And people would say, well, what comes next? Will the dollar remain the reserve? Will the dollar lose that status? Will, it, will we go back to a gold standard? Will it be China? Will they overtake us with a, you know, a digital yuan, maybe a, a, a central bank digital currency? All these things. Well, when you're only looking at that, maybe you would have those questions. But if you understand other indicators, I think it becomes more clear. So what are the other two I'm talking about? One, we have to look at like the political, social, and cultural cycles. Um, and then we want to look at technological revolutions. Now, the political, social, cultural works on a 250-year cycle. Technological revolutions work on a 50-year cycle. And then, as I said, financial revolutions work on an 80-year. So those are all different timeframes. But what's interesting is right now, they're all converging right now at the exact same time. And so when they all converge at the same time, then it becomes very, very powerful. It, what's also important to understand about these three is that they feed into each other. So what do I mean by that? So we have political, social, culturally, like how do we interact? Um, and then um, we're supposed to have solutions come to solve problems. Um, today, with central bank printing lots of money, we have a bunch of money just chasing things that don't make sense. But we have solutions come to problems. So whatever the problems that we have, like politically, socially, culturally, we'll have a technological revolution that will address that need. And then a technological revolution drives the financial market. So they go into each other. So um, to go into this, uh, we'll go through it pretty quickly. But the political, social, cultural side, um, real quickly, there's like an 84-year cycle. So people think that everything moves linear, or maybe it just goes up a little bit. But progress is really exponential, but then we repeat cycles within that. Um, and so we have a, about every 84 years, we see like this populist uprising or this regime change cycle. So 84 years ago, we saw the end of World War II, Hitler, Mussolini, um, FDR did the New Deal, which turned America into kind of the socialist type nation. 84 years before that, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, which led to the European Spring, which is the largest revolution. Now, what's interesting is 84 times three. So three cycles of 84 equals 252. And so every 250 years, we see a revolution cycle, which is where we're at today. So 250 years ago was the American and the French Revolution. 250 years before that was the Protestant Reformation. 
And what both of those signify, really, if you look at them, is that, that the people were rejecting centralization or rejecting globalization, and they pushed back to go into decentralization. It's really the difference of individualism versus collectivism. And so um, in the Protestant Reformation, they rejected the, the, the central power of the church and the state. Um, in the American Revolution, same thing, rejected the monarchy, and they set up a decentralized government. The United States was set up as a republic, a decentralized government. Um, and now today, I think it's pretty easy for anybody that's paying attention in the, the comments in your Telegram group, that they can see that we're at, like, pretty much peak centralization, peak globalization. And we can also see that the people are pushing back on that super hard. So it's easy to see now under that lens kind of where we're at. Now, there's a couple of things. So back to um, saying, is it is it a, is the financial system falling apart? They need to force us to use the vaccines. Well, remember, they're moving to peak centralization. They're trying to centralize control of everything in our lives. And so it's not just about the vaccine. It's about getting our entire life under control by one central authority as opposed to an individual government or whatever. And so we can see that. And, and as far back as we go through history, it's the same It's the same story. So humans have a natural need for freedom, uh, but some people have a need for power and control. They get a little bit of power and control. They want more and more and more. And eventually it leads to oppression. The oppression becomes so bad that the people revolt, they overthrow, we go back to freedom. And then we just kind of repeat those cycles over and over and over. And so that's, uh, that's really that first cycle that we're witnessing right now. We saw before the pandemic broke out, there was 10 countries that had a million people each in the streets protesting. And when the pandemic broke out, that disappeared because, you know, can't go outside anymore. Um, but now it's all starting to come back in a really big way. Of course, media doesn't show you any of that. But if, you, if you're paying attention, you can see how that's happening. So that's the first cycle, if that makes sense. Fascinating. So we've we've all been anywhere on the journey with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies from curious about it, wondering about it. You know, my method is to, I, I bought $50,000 worth in March of 2020, just part of my preparedness plan. I was raised Mormon. So I had the whole preparedness thing. I've had a year's supply of food my entire adult life. Wow. And, um, so I bought like $50,000 worth, didn't think about it again. And then like a year later, somebody told me, Hey, you know, Bitcoin is worth $63,000. And I just did some quick math because I bought it at 8,000. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I so my 50,000 <laughs> is worth, yeah. So then I was like, I want to learn more about this because I saw what was happening with the dollar. You can't just keep printing money and dumping money right. into the monetary supply without, you know, just massive dilution of what your dollars are worth. And I was like, right. well, my dollars are clearly going, you know, down in value. So then I just, have been committed to it. And you, yours was one of the channels. Like I gripe to our following on the take action for freedom insiders mastermind. I gripe about the YouTubers, how they right. can't talk to a beginner. Like once they've been involved in crypto for like five years, they literally have three different kind jargon words in every sentence they speak that for people like me who are just right. getting into it, I was just like, what on earth are you talking about? Especially if you don't like have a really strong technical aptitude, which I don't. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I've, I've developed this theory, like I'm better at looking at things from a strategic level and, and somewhat tactical level. So my theory is, and I wonder what you think of it, 
we could talk about cryptocurrencies a little bit because I've been talking a lot about, about that yeah. to my audience. Yeah, let's move into that's the second that's the second cycle that we'll talk about. Okay, so, so the, talk about the cycle first, but here's my theory. I think that there's a huge mad race on, like a crazy ferocious race literally related to the survival of human species where the people in power are trying to use blockchain technology to enslave humans faster than the free market system uh, innovations are trying desperately to free us from centralized authority and corrupt entities like the central banks and all of our governments that clearly are being controlled by some supra government, some some group of people who are telling Justin Trudeau I, I and Joe agree. Biden what to do. I would agree with that. Yeah, okay. I would agree with that. I okay, think, so uh, what do you think? So, so agreeing with that, we're, we're going to go through this, but just real quick, just to kind of agree with you, um, I know this sounds over the top, but exactly what you just said, um, I believe we're kind of at this pivotal point in history uh, for the future of mankind. And what whoever wins here, uh, to your point, the the technology has gotten to a point where governments could create this like perfect prison. So through the use of artificial intelligence, just adjusting our social media, they can uh, change the way that our brains develop and what, what information they give to us. Obviously the censorship, all that thing is, is getting really, really strong. Um, then on top of it, right. Um, the censorship, um, putting all our life into one switch, central bank digital currencies with uh, behavioral modification, all these things. And so they could, so as I said before, the political, social, cultural side, it just constantly repeats, right? Freedom, oppression, revolution, freedom, and it's this never-ending cycle. Well, if they could change the way we think through artificial intelligence, through Facebook and social media, what they're doing now, and then they could stop any form of um, dissent, right? Any information that's different. And of course, this is what they're worst. I mean, it's crazy. Today, I saw, I posted something on Twitter last night about Google now. Um, anything that's not along consensus can't be posted. So when the Wright brothers said that they were going to build a plane, well, that was against consensus. Science said that man would never fly, but they did. So anyway, uh, they, they're creating these tools that I believe could, could, prevent a revolution from ever happening again. And so potentially for the rest of humanity, we could live in this almost like matrix type thing. But I believe we also have the technology that could win. As you said, it's kind of like this race. And if we win with the new technology, we'll get rid of their power and for the rest of humanity could live more free. So I think the cycle that's been repeating throughout humanity changes and it either goes one way or the other. That's how important this is. And so let me break that down for you. So tech, I'm not talking about technologies. I'm not talking about the iPhone. I'm not talking about Uber. I'm talking about technological revolutions. Now, technological revolution is something that changes humanity and it builds financial markets. So let me give you the example. So there's been five. So in the 1700s, we had the Industrial Revolution, which literally changed the world, took people from farms, and now we had cities and factories. Um, about 50 years later, we had the age of uh, the invention of uh, steam engines and steel. So for all of humanity, we had horsepower and manpower, and now we had ships and we had we had you know steam power, and we had steel. So now we could build two stories with bricks. Now we could build skyscrapers and bridges and all these things. Uh, about 50 years later, we had electricity. Now that changed humanity. At the time, electricity was cool. It was like a digital candle, whatever, like an electronic candle. What do we need that for? Candles have been great for 5,000 years, right? What do we need? That's what we don't need electronic candles. Well, electricity was more than that, obviously. Um, about 50 years later, we had the age of oil, automobiles, and uh, mass production. 
Now, for all of humanity, people walked and rode horses. And now we could drive, we could transport things um, across the world. Um, about 50 years later, um, 1971 was the age of the microprocessor, which brought personal computers, which led to the age of telecommunications and the internet, which of course changed the world. <laughs> we're, we're using it right now. And so these aren't just new technologies. These change the world. They build economies. 1971 plus 50 years puts us where we are today right now. Now, as I kind of said before, that solutions come to problems. So the problem is this centralization. The problem is this um, globalization, centralization. And so, of course, the new technological revolution that we're having right now is decentralized technology. So that is pretty uh, important to understand that connection because a lot of people probably not on your channel but a lot of people still think oh this is a joke it's a scam um you know every time a new technology comes out they say ah it's not going to be a big deal um but this is a big deal when you understand the problem that we have and there's a solution for that now i would like to dig a little bit deeper into that and i think um being a history person um, you'll you'll understand that each one of these technological revolutions works in a similar repeatable fashion. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that each one of these technological revolutions has led to what uh, I call a wealth transfer. So each of those um, each of those revolutions led to a new group of people getting rich. So in the oil, it was you know the Rockefellers. In the automobiles, it was the you know Fords. Um, in the technology boom, it was you know the the um, you know the Apple, the Steve Jobs, and and Bill Gates, right? But it's always different people. And I, so, I want to just I want to throw in there that what you and I seem to both be doing, except we just connect, connected today, is teaching people that there's going to be winners and losers in this sea change that we're going through, and you can choose to be one of the winners. Like it takes some, you know, pay some some attention. You got to take some actions. But yeah. do you agree with that? And then carry on. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely, because as I said, this is the biggest wealth transfer that we'll ever see in our lifetime. So we're, uh, unfortunately, you know, the world is a crazy place and it kind of sucks to live through it. But at the same time, we're presented this amazing opportunity if we take advantage of it. Um, so the other thing that I would say, though, is that there's a few ways to look at this. So if we run through these technological revolutions, let's go back to the automobile boom. We won't go too far back. Uh, automobile boom, uh, the car was invented. Oh, really cool. A lot of excitement. A bunch of investors come in and quickly there's 250 automobile manufacturers. But there was two main problems. One, there was no market who was going to buy all those cars. Two, there was no infrastructure. There was no roads. There was no gas stations. There was no service stations. So they all went bankrupt. Three emerged, Ford, Chrysler, GM. And of course, today we have 200 automobile manufacturers, but we had to let that market develop. Same thing happened with the internet. The internet, you know, went the first W the first internet went live in like the 80s. WWW went live in 1990, 1994. The very first purchase happened online, which was for a pizza, kind of like Bitcoin. Interesting enough. I guess nerds like pizza. Um, 1995 was significant though, because that was the first IPO. That's when Netscape happened. And that brought in all this venture capital. And when money comes in, guess what happens? It blew up the dot com, and by 1999, we had every dot com in the world pets.com, webvan.com, those were the famous ones at that time. But they had the same problem as the automobile boom, which was one, no market, meaning at night by the year 2000, less than 10% of people had ever bought anything online. So they had all these, but nobody was there to buy them, and two, no infrastructure at that time. The internet was too slow, it didn't work for that. And so they all went out of business, but they've all come back. Of course, today we all buy our pet stuff online. I'm guessing the majority of people do. Um, and so 
when you understand it through the lens, the other thing about the internet boom was that uh, all these big Fortune 500 companies were like, we can't trust that open internet. That's dangerous. So we're going to build our own private intranets. And we're going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars building intranets. But of course, today they're all gone and everyone's just on the internet. So it's important to understand those things. Now, the other thing I would like to just uh, bring into some consideration here is that, again, solutions come to problems. So what are the problems today? Now, freedom from free, fellow freedom lover to fellow freedom lover, I'm sure we'll see the same problems. The problems are, one, really, it's just one problem, but I'll, I'll break it into three. The first problem is that we have this unlimited money supply, this money printer that just gushes money. That is the root of every problem that we have in the world. It's also what gives the state their power. They never would be able to lock people down if they didn't have a money printer, they'd never be able to rush out vaccines if they didn't have a money printer. They'd never be able to start segregating people if they didn't have a money. That, that's the root of all their power. But also bigger than that, it's the distortion of money that causes every problem that we have. I like to say if we had like this oak tree, this giant oak tree, 10,000 leaves, and every leaf on the tree was a different problem, the incarceration rate and the divorce rate and the unhappiness and all these things, at the base of that tree sits the money printer. That's it. And, and the reason why is money is communication. Money's not wealth. Money communicates wealth. And it tells us, like, how does the exact product I need show up on the shelf right when I want it at the price I need it? How, how do we coordinate 330 million people to make all these products that go into an iPhone that can put it all together? And the answer is the price. The price tells people where there's demand, where there's no demand. I created this product, nobody bought it. So I guess the market didn't want it. Oh, I made this other one, they do want it. Um, oh, people are buying more vanilla ice creams because until the price is going up. And so when they dump in $8 trillion in the last year and a half, it distorts all the price. And then we start having shortages. We see supply chains breaking down like we have today. We're seeing energy shortages all over the place. So let's just say the money printer is a big problem. Okay, that's problem one. Second big problem that we have is censorship. Now, I'm not just talking about censorship on Facebook, like you were talking about earlier, which of course is a massive problem. So we are talking about that, but we're also talking about censorship in a way where my wealth is censored, my value. So uh, one, I can store my wealth, but they just print more and steal my value from me. But even more important, number two, is they censor who I can, where I can spend that money. So a couple of weeks ago, PayPal teamed up with the Anti-Defamation League. And the Anti-Defamation League made, made a list of everyone who they thought shouldn't be able to get money. And now PayPal is blocking you sending money to anybody they don't think is worth it. Okay, so I should tell you, you won't like this, that I was canceled probably six or seven weeks ago. I was canceled in one week by PayPal, who had processed seven figures go. for us. Canceled. Personally and in business, I've been processing through PayPal for 15 years. And our new startup, our crypto education business, 100% of its revenues were through PayPal. They just got a, a threat letter from my lawyer uh, this morning, actually, yep. that we've been working on. Canceled by PayPal, Venmo, and Square in one week. And none of them will say why. 
Yeah. So I've been looking for clues. Well, you know why. But... Yeah, I know exactly why. And, yeah. you know, like I didn't say why, but my employees told me why. It's because you won't shut up about the V words on your yeah. both your websites, Robin. Well, and, 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 and crypto probably. And, and it's probably also crypto as well. They, you know, the thing is we were like in their face about this is a crypto education company. So we sort of have ruled that out. Like you, you may be right, but they don't seem to be going as hard. But I, but I want to mention this too, is some of my colleagues, Joe Mercola has been terminated by PNC, a huge globalist central bank. And, and I, I, if you guys haven't heard me say this, because I know not everybody who follows me follows every single piece of content I've done, but I've been talking about things we should be doing. One is we should be spending cash, keep cash going. Like don't, you know, they want to eliminate cash. Don't let them eliminate cash. But also, you know, I took a, a lot of cash out of Wells Fargo, which is central centrally bank owned. And I actually believe that Wells Fargo has been pushing back. I, I think Wells Fargo has tried to resist the supra government who basically it looks to me like they've gone to the big, huge billion dollar multinational corporations and said, if you play nice and you do everything we say, then we'll let you survive when we crush all the small businesses. But anyways, um, I know that Joe Mercola for no reason, same thing. We've asked over and over again to PayPal, Venmo, Square, like, well, why? What, what did we do wrong? Like, we don't have returns. We have like a tiny fraction of 1% of returns. Like we're stellar. We have absolutely done nothing wrong. And they aren't saying we did anything wrong. They're just terminating us because they don't want to say why, because then if they say why, then they've been caught yeah. terminating us and penalizing us for exercising our First Amendment rights. So Joe Mercola literally got, um, a call from PNC saying, come get all your money out of the bank. You've got 48 hours. And yep. I've now found two people who've been terminated by Chase. And we all have a couple things in common. And one of them is our speaking up on the V words. And um, that can't some, be tolerated some... at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can't allow so. that. Uh, by the way, Dr. Mercola is coming to speak at my event. Uh, oh, is so he? more reason maybe why you should come down and everybody listening <laughs> okay. should come down as well. So come see Dr. Joe Mercola live. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I think, like I said, health should be part of our asset. Freedom is part of an asset. Um, so he's going to come speak about that. Um, but so that's a perfect example. I mean, it's happening to you. But think about this, right? So as I said last night, I tweeted this. Uh, Google said they're going to shut down anybody that's not in consensus with the science. But again, the Wright brothers would have never been able to fly because science consensus was that you couldn't fly. And so somebody had to fund the Wright brothers in order for them to build those planes. But if they censor the what's not against consensus and now I they censor my money, I can't pay them to go build an airplane. How do we ever get progress, right? So we can see the problem. So that's a big problem. So the endless money printing, censorship is a big problem. And the third problem, this is a really big problem. It's one that's just eating me alive, is that we used to have a rule of law, but today we're ruled by men. And so what does that mean? Well, the constitution, was a rule of law. The constitution was supposed to be easy to understand. So everybody knew what the law was. And then it was set in stone so that I could plan my whole life based off those laws. You could plan your life based off those laws, kind of like basketball. The, the rules of basketball are set, but we could approach the game differently as long as we stay within those rules. But today we're ruled by men. I don't know what Governor Newsom in California is going to have the laws be next month. I don't know. 
My sister's a doctor in California and she was forced to quit her job a few weeks ago. She knew that was going to happen in advance. So she started working on setting up a private practice. So put money down on an office and all these things. And then he just changed the law where she can't even work in the state of California anymore, but she had already put all the time and money into this. So now she's like going to move to a new state, but she's like, I don't know what state to go to because the laws could change there too. Like they can't work like that. Like we can't, it can't be whatever people want to be. So those are three problems. We need solutions to those. So instead of having an endless money supply, we need a fixed monetary supply. Instead of having uh, censorship, we need something that's censorship resistant. Instead of having rules by men that change all the time, we need immutable law that doesn't change. I believe those are the solutions that we need for the problems that we have today, especially if you're focused on being a freedom fighter uh, and you're trying to make the world better. So then when you understand those are the solutions that we need, then you start to look at things a little bit differently and go, well, how many options do I have that can meet all three of those needs? And then when you look at it through that lens, then things start becoming a little bit more clear. Like uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies are faster than Bitcoin. Was that the problem that we had in the world? We needed faster money? Because like Venmo works pretty fast. I don't think faster money solves anything, right? Well, and, it, and I can't like liquidate my rental property in uh, Utah. I sold 10 properties in Utah. I can't liquidate them in 2.7 seconds flat. And all properties have, yeah, we don't, that's what, that wasn't right. the problem. We have lots of so, problems. So, so we, need, we, we need something that's uh, a fi- fixed supply. We need something that's uh, censorship resistant. We need something that has a mutable law. And so one thing, you know, uh, one of the big, big battles between Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, is that Bitcoin obviously has a fixed 21 million supply, but Ethereum had an unlimited supply unknown monetary supply issuance. And so that was a big thing. And so about a month or two ago now, uh, Vitalik and boys got together and they came up with, uh, was it BIP 518, whatever it is. Um, And we fixed it. Now we have a known monetary issuance. Great. No, not great. That's the same thing as the Federal Reserve. They change the monetary policy whenever they want. I don't want to be in something that changes the monetary policy. I want something that can't be changed. How could I go build a business that in a decade is going to be a billion dollar business. And then they just change the rules on me. Like, okay, that doesn't say, work. Say more about what Vitalik and those running Ethereum did that, and how that makes you feel about Ethereum. Yeah. So what happens is same with like Cardano. So Cardano has a decentralized governance. So basically what this means is that there's delegate delegates that can vote and change the way the protocol worked, right? So um, how does that work, for example? Well, whoever has the most coins that are staked gets the most votes. Okay, well, how did they get those coins? Oh, that's right. They printed them for themselves. That's right. Uh, doesn't that sound like the central bank that we have? Isn't that what I'm trying to get away from? Don't I want something that had no pre-mine, that didn't have, uh, in, in fiat, we call it the the Cantillion effect. Those who are closest to the money supply have the most benefit. We don't want that, right? We want something that doesn't have that. And so in Ethereum, they had 70% pre-mine or Cardano, same thing, right? A little bit less. Um, but whoever has the most tokens stakes them and then they can change the, the, the network as they see fit. But I don't, want, I don't want the network changed. I don't want it changed because how can I build my life on a system that's changing all the time? And so, um, so that's, that's one example. Then we go to the censorship. Now, 
Um, what made Bitcoin revolutionary was this decentralized technology, and that's what allows it to be censorship resistant. Now, in 2017, there was something called the Block Size Wars. Uh, there's a great book written on it. Uh, anybody should go read it. It's called the Block Size Wars. And basically what happened in 2017 is that people were saying that Bitcoin's too slow. It'll never scale. It's too expensive. And the blocks, because it's a blockchain, every 10 minutes a block goes, and it was too small. And we they wanted to make the blocks bigger so they could put more information in there so it could scale faster. Um, and then the whole community, everybody fought over it. And uh, then there was a split. And so Bitcoin became Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. Um, and they increased the block sizes. The problem with that, and the reason why we wanted to keep the block sizes small, is that now the... The way that a decentralized protocol like Bitcoin or Ethereum, any of those work, is that you have databases all over, and then they have to achieve consensus, right? So like more than half have to achieve consensus. Well, with Bitcoin, because the block sizes stayed small, the entire Bitcoin database is about 300 gigabytes. On a device smaller than this, I could run the entire Bitcoin database, and so I can run a node, which I do. I run a node in California. I run a node in Puerto Rico. And the node runs the whole database, and it helps to uh, create this decentralization and, and achieve consensus. The problem when you made the database bigger, like Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or Cardano, is that the database is so big that I can't run a node. You literally have to get an industrial-grade server that's set up by a data scientist or somebody like that. And then it has to get co-located in a server farm like Amazon. And we saw how well that worked out for Parler after the last election when everybody was jumping ship to Parler. Amazon just flipped up the switch. So how decentralized or how I should say censorship resistant is a protocol that I can't even run a node. And then even more important, we saw a couple of days ago at the time of this recording, uh, Facebook and WhatsApp and all those got shut down. Uh, we're now seeing this supposedly whistleblower going around and talking about we need to censor the internet more. Of course, Klaus Schwab and the WF are saying that we're going to have a cyber pandemic. And so they're they're starting to talk about how they can control the internet. There's a kill switch where they can shut the internet on and off. Of course, uh, in China or in Hong Kong, when China was trying to take them over pre-pandemic, um, they shut the internet down. They shut the phone services down. When they did that, um, everybody used what's known as a mesh network. And so that means that we could create, have our phones all connect to each other and we could make our own network without an ISP, without the phone company. Great, shut us down. We'll make our own network. Well, because Bitcoin, because the Bitcoin database is small, we can transfer Bitcoin over a mesh network or over a ham radio. Really? We can't do that with the other ones because the database is too big. The other thing, be, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think one of the things that's missing, and I probably shouldn't say it here, I should probably say this to you privately, but I, I think one of the problems with the right, if we're conservatives, if we're, you know, I didn't, I don't even know that that was like an important identifier for me before this happened 18 months ago. And now yeah. I feel like I can't get right wing enough. But um, <laughs> Well, it's because they keep moving faster left. Right. You know? right. <laughs> used so, to be left, but they shifted so much you ended up on the right. <laughs> that, that actually explains it really well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. But, you know, I, I feel like the left is they, they get followers really well, like lots and lots of followers and they're good at centralization. Like that's kind of who they are. Right. And, and so a big frustration I've had in the Utah Freedom Fight, there was me and one other guy who both already had a big following before before the whole scamdemic. And so we started going hard, both of us, and trying to organize things. And honestly, I left Utah in part because the because of the dysfunction of the Utah Freedom Fight. Because 
And this is no diss on any single person because everybody involved in the Utah Freedom Fight are badasses. I mean, if you're involved and you're doing something, then I'm here applauding you. Yeah. It w- but sure. nobody could work together and everybody wanted to start their own little thing and they saw each other as competition and then it became a market instead of a movement. And now there's like events and everybody's wanting to sell the tickets to their events. Okay. And that, Hey, I'm for the free market system. Like that's almost the whole point here. So like I'm for it, but I backed away from the Utah freedom fight. I'm still doing it from here. You know, I was getting cease and desist. Like it's probably better that I went 2,700 miles away. But um, when you think about it, that is the very nature of conservatives or people who are business owners, et cetera, is we're not really used to collaborating and, and saying to another person who's got a big, big vision and a big personality saying to another person, you know, you're best at this. So you run this part and I'll run this part. And he runs that part. And so we did, we did not do that well in Utah. And I would say that Utah is actually one of the best run, like as far there's more pushback in Utah than almost any other place. And it is, you know, by and large, because the efforts of a handful of us who just yeah. kept gathering people and kept doing the things or whatever, have we been, effective? we haven't gotten rid of our deep state governor at all. Yeah. He's as deep state as they get in Utah. The people like the funny thing is all these people are flooding in from California and then they're there a couple months and they're like, holy crap, it's terrible here. It's absolutely terrible here. And and they're right. And I don't think that by coming to Florida that like we're safe because Governor DeSantis is here. I mean, he'll probably get dominioned, you know, 14 months yeah, from now. Yeah, I know. And- I'm, I'm, afraid of, I'm afraid of that happening. I think, um, you know, that, that's super unfortunate to hear. I think uh, just a couple of things I'm thinking about when you're saying that. Like one, I think there's a difference in mindset. So like you have a scarcity mindset or abundance mindset. And too many people today have been trained to kind of have this scarcity mindset where there's not enough. And so we have to fight and squabble over everything. And that's a function of our fiat money system has really caused that to happen. Um, But then there's an abundance mindset, which says there's plenty out there. So for example, uh, you have a different voice than I do. And so you're going to attract different people than I would. And that's a good thing. I don't view that as a bad thing. Like that's a good thing. Um, But if I don't, I try to stay away from the labels, the left or right, Republican, Democrat, libertarian, anarchism, socialism. I try to stay away from that. And I look at it on two different spectrums and you have individualism here and you have collectivism over here. And so the socialism, the communism, the fascism, those are all on the collectivism side. Um, And then individualism is like free markets. And with with individualism, what's important is that we're all motivated by our own personal self-interest. And people think that's bad, but it's it's actually not bad uh, because we all need to be motivated by what motivates us. But then when you and I, for example, you and I both see a threat from the from the state, we'll join together because we both share the same interest in that. And so right. I think um, I think um the the way that the language is changing or the way that they're subverting these terms, they're making anybody who th- talks about freedom or cares about it is is a selfish jerk. Like that's the thing that's being lost here is that when we are self-interested, that's also best for the collective. Exactly, exactly. And there is no state without the individual. So it always starts with the individual, the individual rights, and the state, it only has power because of the individual. So I think it's important to understand that there is no collective other than the individual, starting with the individual. I mean, if you go back and read some of like Rothbard's teaching, like Anatomy of the State, for example, um, you know, he talks about um, the individual should have no right to uh, to harm another person. The only reason that the only uh, reason I should ever use force would be to protect my private property. 
right? And so if that's the only case I can use force is to protect my own private property, then collectively, if we formed a village or a city or a state, collectively, the state should also be able to use force to protect private property, but no other reason. And so the state only has power because the individual has rights and, and not the other way around. Uh, but again, you're the teacher. <laughs> a lot of this was just lost in education. Uh, you know, it just hasn't been taught properly. Yeah, I... I also have started and sold and just started businesses since I went for 35 years now, like my entire adult life, started businesses, sold some of them, failed at a few of them. Um, I used to tell my my students in the man, management um, school at Brigham Young University, where I taught for many years, that I had two kinds of businesses. There were the kinds that made money and the kind that I learned from. And, <laughs> and both yeah. are really valuable. In fact, that sounds like something Mark Moss would say, because you actually have a sunnier outlook on, and I think it's because you're really good at looking down the road and looking for the opportunity and you have that you know innate entrepreneurial drive. But um, you seem to have a much more, and I'll, I'll get to this at the end as we wrap up, uh, that you actually are, you seem to be almost excited about the future and about... Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but, but I am hopeful. I do believe that we win. I believe history tells us that. I believe that uh, humans have this drive for freedom. I believe we have God-given rights for freedom. And uh, I believe that as much as man tries to oppress us, uh, history shows that the people, the drive for freedom always wins. I believe we actually have a tool now. <laughs> that we can actually win with. If, if we didn't have that, my, my uh, hope would be probably dashed, uh, but, but we have that. So I believe we have the tools. I believe history says that. Um, that being said, unfortunately, I see rough, rough seas ahead. I mean, I think uh, at least the next five years are probably gonna be pretty difficult. Um, and so, uh, I do have massive hope and I believe on the other side of this is, is a much better world for my kids. That's what I'm, that's what I'm fighting for. Um, but yeah, getting from here to there, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And I've heard you say that before and everybody wants to listen to somebody who can offer some hope or some perspective that doesn't look as dark as what a lot of us are seeing in front of us. And I hear you say that. And I like have my, my fake conversation with you, Mark. This is my first like actual real conversation, but I'm like, but Mark, do you know how many generations China has been in total slavery to, you know, first uh, you know, like, I don't know what was before Mao. I haven't gone that far back, but at least as far as Mao. So in yours and my lifetime, they have been in complete and total oppression. So we're going to, we're going to all have to take some, some action. I want to come down a little bit. That was such a great overview of like what's happening in history. And I love how you talk about the cycles because almost nobody else is capable of that higher level thinking. I like that you're saying, well, stop thinking so micro because I'm constantly telling myself that like, stop thinking so micro. And I always have to remind myself too, like the people will, above all else, I've been very frustrated with people on an individual level, but I, I do see people standing up to it more and more and more. One thing I do see in people is they find a way to make a living. They find a way to get their needs met. They find a way to push back if it involves- In, in spite of the state, no matter how much they try to prevent us state. from doing it. And that's, that's where a lot of my hope comes from that. And you know, as Christians will always tell you, we know how this story ends. We've read the book. Right. But okay, so I want to I want to know what you think. We've come down a few notches. This is a lot more granular. I'll tell you, like it looks to me like there's just bubbles everywhere, and I wrote a few of them down before we were going to do this. I wonder if you can give me a timeline because I'm like, wow, that's impressive that Mark's planning this big event that people are going to fly into or drive into in Miami in the middle of November. He must think that we're not going to have gas shortages and gas rationing by then. That's just to give you like a window on 
how I'm shocked that we don't have gas shortages and gas rationing yet. So here's yeah. some here's some things that that I feel like a lot of us, as I talk to my own audience, uh, we're having a hard time planning our lives. I'm having a hard time planning my business because these look like bubbles that I don't know how to count on. Like I said, I, I sold 24 doors uh, in three states because the rent moratorium, like that's just unprecedented. I mean, I know yeah. that when when Mal canceled rent, he literally told the tenants to go kill their landlord. So we're not there yet. But I was like, I don't, I don't want people giving me COVID letter. And, you know, I still have all my expenses. I still have to pay the HOA 600 bucks a month. Or even if my properties are paid off, like it's still, it was a terrible situation. I didn't want to be in the long-term rental market. So I sold long-term rentals. I bought some short-term rentals in the panhandle and have really gone deep into cryptocurrencies. But so rent moratoriums. Gas shortages and rationing. Anything that you have to say about like what you think is going to happen? Like how long do you think we have? Like I know that's a super basic question, but this this is the kind of stuff people are asking me every day. Um, it looks to me like this is a hit on the entire free market system itself. I don't say capitalism because I think capitalism has gone really far awry, and it's at this point every bit as scary as communism. The form that capitalism has taken the big giant billion dollar multinational corporations who sit around a boardroom and decide what ingredients go in the food that make it super cheap and is like literally killing millions of people. You know, that kind of, that is what capitalism has become to me. And and I think that the supra government, the elites, whatever you want to call them, the Illuminati people who control money. um, I think that uh, they are just deciding that all of these get to exist as long as they do their bidding, like I said. So the entire market system itself what? and then the dollar tanking like how where, where do you how, do you think it's 10 years before the dollar goes away and we're all on a cbdc or like all all those are things yeah. you can't possibly cover all that but whatever's on your mind i can i can't cover it all i can't wow. uh, rapid okay. fire yeah. here we go here we go first off let's start with this free market system and this um, capitalism has gone the wrong way right uh that's false uh, what it is, is that the word has been misused. And so today, if you go back and read uh, George Orwell's 1984, he talked about like this double speak. He says that war is peace, right? And so they they started to change the name of everything, guys or girls. I mean, up is down, every, uh, two plus two is five, right? And so the the word capitalism has been completely distorted. Nobody knows what the meaning of that word is anymore. And so I'm okay. I've tried to stop using that and just use free markets in its place. Yeah, um, but in that example that you gave, these multinational companies that are trying to put a bunch of junk into our food because they're trying to save money, that's not capitalism. So in, under that's not capitalism. It's cronyism. Um, those those multinationals have used the governments to pass regulations to entrench their positions and purposely hide information that shows what they're doing. And so, in a free market, that would never happen. In a free market, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have um, these monopolies. We wouldn't have the state protecting them. We wouldn't have them censoring free information that talks about that food. So it's not capitalism. Uh, but to your point. Um, the word uh, capitalism has been so misused that at this point people think slavery was capitalism. Like that, well, that's the cause of sl- uh, slavery was caused by capitalism. It's like, well, capitalism is a free exchange, and slavery wasn't free. So how could that be capitalism? But they just the, the word's been misused. So I would you, you say you kind of feel like we should almost defend capitalism and regain its original meaning just because. No, I'm I'm happy to just use the word free markets. I think it's just easier. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of there with that. Um, but going back into some of these other things, so let's, uh, we'll move these through these pretty quickly. So, uh, you mentioned rent moratorium, which is a massive problem. Uh, I'm a real estate guy as well. 
Uh, what's going to happen with that? Uh, we talk about gas shortages, energy shortages all over the world. That's a big problem. And then the dollar tanking. Now, um, all of that kind of lumps together um, in a sense where it's all caused by central planning. So remember, central planning is collectivism on the opposite side of free markets or individualism. And so what happens is just like you're into health. So in any complex system like the body, um, if I went to the doctor and I said, hey, I'm depressed, they're going to like, oh, here's some Zoloft. Like, did I have a Zoloft deficiency? Yeah. Was that my problem? Well, a functional medicine doctor might say, well, let's take a look at your gut health. Let's start there. Uh, what is your gut biome saying? You know, you have leaky gut. Let's add these. Let's take these things out, right? And so that's how you look at a, a complex system. But if I just take the Zoloft, then I'm going to have all types of other problems that are caused by that. Right, um, and the same is true in a, in, a, in a normal market and economy as well. Um, we're made up of in the United States, 330 million people, eight billion people globally. The market is like a living, breathing organism because humans are very irrational. I love vanilla ice cream, but tomorrow I just want chocolate. I don't know why. I just do. Um, and so we change our mind all the times, and things are changing. And so the the economists, the central planners, think it's like a machine they can control, but they can't. And so it's a it's a complex system. So when they try to fix one problem, it creates a whole different set of problems over there. So for example, the world's going to be destroyed. Uh, the, the world's overheating. Uh, the temperature is going to go up by 1.5 degrees in the next hundred years, and we won't be able to live under that condition. Well, you're from Utah. I'm from California. I know next door in Arizona, it's 125 degrees and people moved out there. I think we could take an extra degree, but because they think that we can't, what we're going to do now is we're going to pass a bunch of laws to potentially save something in the future, a hundred years. So what they've done all throughout California, all throughout the world is they have basically banned the use of fossil fuels and we're going to go to renewables. I'm not going to get into the science of that and debate that, but the problem is, is that they've shut down in California specifically, they shut down the natural gas production, they shut down two out of three nuclear production and in a move to go to renewables. But guess what? They didn't build the renewables. So guess what? There's no power because they shut it down. If you want to go to renewables, at least make sure it's there before you shut it down. And this is happening all over the world. So in Europe right now, there's massive problems. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a big problem. Potentially lots of people dying this year. They don't even have enough natural gas. And they're saying that, you know, with winter coming, people could be freezing to death in Europe because they don't have enough natural gas. Now, why don't they have enough natural gas? Oh, because they put moratoriums on it and they don't get it out of the ground anymore. The UK has massive reserves of natural gas. They can't get it out. Uh, because why? Because policy said so. And so now all of Europe is dependent on Russia for natural gas. So it's not good for us to get out of the ground, but we can still buy it from Russia. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And then it starts creating all these trickle-down problems. So the natural gas is needed by electricity companies to generate electricity. Well, they can't get natural gas. Prices went up 800%. So now they can't produce enough. So over a dozen electricity companies have gone out of business in the UK. And then without natural gas, we can't do the, we can't make fertilizer. Oh, what do we need fertilizer for? Oh, besides growing crops, we also need to make CO2, which is used to process animals to make meat, also for packaging, shipping, refrigeration. Well, we don't have any of that now. So now supply chains are starting to break down all over the place. So all these central planners, they make one move here, but then the whole market starts triggering. And so um, that's why I said the rent moratorium, the gas shortages, the dollar, it's all a sub symptom of central planning, if that makes sense. Have you been surprised at how slow a lot of their reactions are? Like, it's been fascinating to watch how slow moving the economy is. Like, how, how, how did you, you know, I was just 
on fire at the end of February of 2020, seeing what was happening. And then when there was, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve, I was like, Hey, no, 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 You don't just shut the economies of the world down for two weeks and flip the switch back on. Doesn't work like that. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't reset it like your computer. And, and, and so that's, so there's, there's two, there's a couple problems. One, they shut the world economy down and then they try to turn it back on and it doesn't just turn on that fast. So we have in, in energy, for example, we lost, we shut down, we lost about 10% of the world's energy production, which which takes us back to a level that we saw in 1991. The problem is that in the United States, the population was like 230 and now it's 330. So we're producing enough energy for 1991 levels, but we need it for 2021 levels. And so they're trying to get it back on board, but then we're paying so many people to not work that they can't get enough people to get back into the field and work. So then we can't produce enough. And then on top of it, the central bank has put so many dollars into the system that it's increased the demand. So we have increased demand, but we have lower supply, one, because they shut it off, and two, because they're paying people not to come back. And so supply and demand pushes those prices up. And on top of it, it's also policy. So not only did that happen, but Biden's first job in office, the first week was to shut down all the oil. I mean, yeah. what do you expect is going to happen? I, I made a call. I said, I think gas was $1.80 uh, a gallon average when he took office. So ten dollars before he leaves office. In California, we're almost at six. So uh, I think my bet is going to be pretty dang good. But it's also remember if we zoom out, it's actually part of the bigger plan. Remember, peak globalization is the goal. So probably one of the most connected people in the world today is Mark Carney, who's the head of the Bank of England, head of the Bank of Canada. He's the UN special envoy for both climate and finance. Uh, he's special advisor to Boris, uh, Boris Johnson. I mean, he's he's the guy, right? He's the guy. He wrote a book recently called Values. Uh, I highly recommend everybody go read it because don't take my word for it. You might think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Hear what he has to say, and I'll quote him. He said, quote, people think the world is going to be better, but they're wrong. The world will be worse. People need to understand they won't be able to fly as much, travel as much. They won't have meat. Um, and uh, their old car that runs on combustible will be junk. They won't be able to sell it. That's in his own words. That's what he's telling us to prepare for. He's the guy that's run, he, he work, he's worked for the World Economic Forum. I mean, he's the guy. And so they want gas prices. They want oil prices to go to 300 bucks a barrel so we don't drive as much. And, and to add on to that, so for example, they think, um, oh, people shouldn't smoke as much. So let's add a bunch of taxes onto cigarettes and people won't smoke. Well, <laughs> that didn't really work. People just have to pay more. Um, the same happened in the energy market. And so in Europe, as bad as the problem already was, because they shut down all the, all the energy, they said, oh, what we're going to do is they have a cap and trade program. So the cap and trade means that um, you can continue to produce that energy, but now you have to buy carbon credits to offset that. It's virtue signaling, right? They're greenwashing it. So you have to buy these carbon credits. And if we make people buy these carbon credits, just like cigarette taxes, then they'll naturally use less carbon, right? Well, no, that didn't. They still need the energy. And so now these energy companies that are going bankrupt now have to buy carbon credits, which has pushed their prices up even higher. And then the government started restricting them, which made the price go up even higher. And that's why natural gas is up 800%. 800%. Electricity is up 300% in Europe, but it's also happening in China. Same thing in China. And this is even worse. So in China, they went to hydro. So dams. Oh, 
we had a we had a light rain year. We kind of had a drought year this year. Who would have ever guessed? So guess what? We don't have enough electricity. So now in China, they're starting to ration what factories can run on which days. Now, the supply chains are already backed up. We already can't get enough supplies. And now they're literally shutting down factories because they shut down the coal plants to go to hydro and we didn't get enough rain. So these are all problems of natural, or I'm sorry, of, uh, of central planning. Now, time, how long can this last for? That's the question that you want to know. The and, one and, reason and why- two, just like some specifics, like, you know, I think we see gas rationing three months from now. I mean, like you, you've made some predictions. I've made some too. Most of, most of what I've said is, been right since I started making predictions last February and March. Um, but I, a lot of what has happened, I could have never imagined in my worst nightmares. Like it's worse, yeah. worse than my nightmares, but yeah. So like yeah. anything that you're willing to go out on a limb and say, here's what to expect, because I think that we're all having a hard time planning. Like I don't even plan vacations because I don't well, know. The reason why we have a hard time planning is because we don't know what's in some guy's head and right. what he's going to do next month. And that's right. not how the world's Because he's planning my life. Because he's, he's planning, planning all and, of our lives. Yeah. And I don't know what Jerome Powell is going to decide next month. Yeah. Like he doesn't tell me that. <laughs> and so we're always trying to guess, but how we we and we can't. So nobody knows uh what's in his head, and that's the problem. What I would say, uh, I'll just I wanted to back up to real quickly. What gives me hope is something called natural law. And natural law are like laws of the universe that can't be changed, like the law of gravity. Um, and with enough money. And with enough technology, I could suspend the law of gravity, but I'm always going to have to be beholden to it. And we also have another natural law. It's in the Bible. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. <laughs> you must produce before you consume. You must. You can't. How can you consume something that you haven't produced? Now, we're in a stage today with enough money and technology. So we've financialized the economy. We've come up with this fiat money where we can steal value from the future. And we're literally, we're literally consuming things today that we haven't produced. Yeah. It doesn't work. And it will fail. It will always fail. You used Mao as a, a Mao and communism. Well, before we get there, I want to go back to that, but, but I'll finish with this train of thought to answer your question. So timing. I would say that um, central banks have two tools. They can manipulate interest rates and they can print money. Um, the interest rates are pretty much gone. Uh, most of the world is negative. The US is pretty much zero. So that tool, one of two tools is gone. The only other tool they have is they can continue to print money. Now, we're already at about you know $400 trillion of debt in the world. Um, the United States is at about 130% debt to GDP. The reason why that number is significant is once a country gets over 90% debt to GDP, um, typically you would take on debt to get more growth. So if I lost uh, if I lost $100 out of the economy, I would take on $50 of debt to get that $100 back. But once you get over 90% per the Keynesian multiplier, you're not getting enough growth back for each dollar of debt. So we're literally, the more debt we're taking on isn't giving us enough growth to even pay off the debt, which is why Biden this week said, um, he said, let me be clear. We need to raise the debt ceiling so we can pay off the old debt. This doesn't have anything to do with the new infrastructure bill. That's already paid for. The new, we need new debt to pay off the old debt. That was his words. Now, if you literally go to Google and type in definition of Ponzi scheme, that's exactly what it says. And so, and, and but, it, but it's because we're past that 90%. So the debt isn't giving us enough to grow. So basically, the more debt we take on, the more we're just digging our hole deeper. Um, how much longer can it go for? Um, I give it 
I give it less than five years. If you're, if you're making me put out a prediction on that, I think it, I think they have less than five years before the system gets reset. It's like, if, if we're playing on, a game, we're on playing. the failure of the dollar and they then have to deliver us some, their, their new system, whatever it is. I mean, I, it looks well, to me no, like. No, well, so no, so no, uh, no, I want to clarify that. So remember um, I started off talking about the financial systems ready to be reset and everybody's wondering, do we go back to a gold standard? Do we go to a digital yuan? But so everybody's looking for a centralized answer. Mm-hmm. But remember, on the 250-year revolution cycle, we push back against globalization or centralization to go to what? Decentralization. So everybody's looking for a centralized answer, but the future is not centralized. The future is not centralized. So while the government may surely come out with their CBDC, my reserve is now Bitcoin. Okay. Micro talk, strategy. Talk micro strategy. Fortune 500 companies reserve is now Bitcoin. And now we have El Salvador and now today Brazil, Bitcoin is their reserve. So while some people might still use gold and some people might use the dollar and they may give us a new CBDC, I certainly won't be using it. So, yeah, that's actually just a tactical question, too. So, you know, Jerome Powell, what was it, maybe June said, we would really like to hear from you. We'd like to get feedback from you. Would you like us to have a digital dot? He's not, he doesn't care what we think, but he seemed to be like buying himself some time. And it looks to me like the whole US Fed is like, for some reason, they weren't on top of this. And so that actually gives me hope, you know, that we can get enough free market innovating going on out there that disrupts industries and that frees us from banking. You know, maybe, maybe we can really win. Maybe we can win. That that makes well, me we, kind we, of excited. We can, we, we can. And here's why. So you saw um, China. Um, came out and banned all cryptocurrencies again. I think it was the ninth time. Again. Um, yeah. So obviously, if they had to do it again, it didn't work the first time. But but this was like the final one, supposedly. But if you understand what that is, it's that um, uh, I, I made a tweet thread about it called the Mundell Fleming trilemma. And um, they can't you can't control interest rates, the monetary supply, and the free flow of capital. Those are three things you can't control all three at the same time. And so because the government's trying to control the interest rates and the monetary supply then they're losing control of the capital. So capital is leaving the country, right? Um, And so that's happening in China. So if they ban all cryptocurrencies, they take away that life raft. They take away that release valve. And And that will be the same thing if the US does it. Everybody has to realize that. They're like, well, the government will just make it illegal. I'm like, yeah, do you know how much they're undermining their own goals if they do? Yeah, they won't. I, 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 I... there is a probability of that happening, but I, I that's very, very, very low. Jerome Powell, Gary Gensler from the SEC both said they're not going to do it. Um, there's way too much entrenchment. We have Cynthia uh, Loomis, the head of the financial committee, just said she just bought $100,000 of more Bitcoin. Like, So we have too many people in the government own it. The entire financial system of the United States is in it. Um, of course, they're the, they're the ones lobbying that make the laws in the first place. About about 50 million Americans own it. And the government just spent about $8 trillion to keep the market from crashing. Would they really go kill Bitcoin and suck a few trillion out of the economy just like that when they just did everything to keep it from crashing? So I think the chance of that happening is very slim to none. Um, maybe they'll try to keep trying to regulate it and keep trying to put it in a box. Um, but what they don't realize is it's like fire and it can't be contained. Um, and so, uh, it's a Trojan horse, you know, they'll, they'll end up failing with that. So back to this time frame, um, because they can't control it because 
it's too big at this point. What happens is as more people leave, they lose their power, which of course is why they're in China. They're trying to keep you from doing it. If I leave their financial system, whatever they do with interest rates and monetary supply doesn't affect me because I have left. And the more people that leave, the more power they lose. And so I believe over the next five years, so many people will have left that they'll have almost no power. Now they'll still be playing their game. It's like, it's like, let's say you and I have a party and we invite a bunch of people to the party, but then we start kicking people out. Eventually we kick so many people out of the party. You and I are the only people left and we can make whatever rules we want, but everybody's already gone having their own party. party. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And that actually kind of, you know, I think helps put some pieces in place for people who aren't understanding what, what, what the real power of Bitcoin is. And I know you're, you're super bullish on Bitcoin. Actually, if you don't mind, I know you, I'm sure you have more interviews today, but if you could just tell us, are you totally bearish on Ethereum now? Um, and were you always, uh, are you just all in on Bitcoin and you think maybe dabble a little in the altcoins? Cause yeah, they're like, this is so tempting to people. Like they're like this coin, I can get, buy it for seven cents. And they like, you know, sugar plums dancing in their head. They yeah. imagine it going what? to 50,000. Now they're overnight rich. What, what's your strategy with so crypto? so what I recommend uh, so I I wrote one of the top cryptocurrency research newsletters for four years from 2016 to 2019 I personally researched and published over a thousand pages of research on all the crypto projects from that time period um, so um, I know a little bit about this um, what I would say is uh, when it, when it comes to investing I, I recommend people to understand what their investor DNA is we're all different. Um, yes. And so, um, what is that I'm interested in? What is that I'm trying to do? What are my timeframes? What are my interest levels? All those things. What, is, what are my time commitments? My education? All those things. Um, and so, um, while I used to play all those different altcoins, today I'm I'm in a different world. I'm busy. Uh, I'm running my business. I'm making media all day. I don't have time to sit there and day trade stuff. Right. Um, I don't want to be a day trader anymore. Um, I don't have time for that anymore. Um, there's so many projects to keep up on that for me, I, I have a I will get a better return on my money, my time, and my energy by focusing on my business and then just putting my wealth into Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been going up at 200% a year, uh, every single year for the last 11 years. Um, if you're trading cryptocurrencies, you're going to be paying capital, short-term capital gains. You're going to be losing about half, your, half of your profits to taxes. And so that means that you would have to average 400% or better to make the same gains that I can just holding Bitcoin. Now, you might find those 1,000% winners, sure, and you will because they're, they're out there, but you're also going to have losers. And so if you think you can do better than 400%, then, then and you and and it and it's fun for you, right? You're interested in it. You love learning. You have the time. Then then maybe that's for you, and that's great. Um, and I used to be there, but today I just don't have the time for that. I find I get a better return for myself if I focus on my business, and then I just store my wealth. The other thing, the second thing I would say about that is back to my DNA. Something switched in me a year ago, and uh, I think it's the same thing that switched in you. I understand that we are in a fight for the rest of humanity. And I don't mean that to be overhyped. I mean that like legit, like I said, like we either go to perfect technological totalitarianism or we have freedom. And I got kids and that's changed everything for me. And there is nothing more important to me than fighting for freedom right now. And I believe there's one tool for that, one tool. And so for me, um, as long as people are clear, I think with all the altcoins, I look at them kind of like penny stocks. You can make a lot of money. 
That's great. A lot of U.S. dollars. You can increase your U.S. dollars. Um, but I'm trying to save the world. And right. so my focus is a little bit different. And, I, and, and what I'm, well, the only thing that I'm a little bit afraid of is when people think that cryptocurrencies will save the world. And so I hear it all the time. What, what, what do you mean? Look how much money I made on Cardano. Right. But I'm not. Did you ever hear me talk about how much money I made? It's not my focus. I'm not. That's great. You made a bunch of U.S. dollars. I'm literally trying to invest in companies that will save the world. And that's being done on Bitcoin. So today I was at a hackathon in Dallas a few weeks ago. Um, someone designed a phone that can call over the Bitcoin network, a phone that can't be shut down. Dissident technology, decentralized technology on the Bitcoin network, a phone. Someone, there's, a, there's now a community I'm moving everything over to where all my podcast episodes will be in the community and people can chat all between themselves. But the chat, instead of going across Telegram or WhatsApp or Signal or somebody else's server, it goes peer to peer across the Bitcoin network. And they can stream my content and stream me SaaS at the same time, 100% decentralized. I'm, I'm trying to save the world, man. And uh, a lot of people want to increase their US dollars, and that's cool. Uh, I just think, like I said, everybody kind of has their DNA. And for me, that, it just switched for me a little bit. And you probably are aware that there's um, a YouTube competitor called Odyssey that's completely on the blockchain. Like, blockchain, no one can take my content down. I've been to the slammer on every so social media platform. Haven't been deplatformed anywhere yet, but you know. But we hold back a lot. Like on the Green Smoothie Girl page on Facebook, we hold back a lot. I don't. Get, I don't talk about what I want to. Everybody's always telling me you're so courageous. Well, I, I have my limits, yeah. you guys. What I'm. What my strategy is changing to, and maybe you're already doing this. It sounds like, but my strategy is to try to use YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as as long as I can to pull people from those platforms and then bring them into the decentralized platforms where then I can say whatever I want. So right. like, I, I don't, I don't want to just go until I get banned. I'm going to try to stay on there as long as I can, even if I have to dance around a little bit, but just so I can harvest people into those platforms where then we can really go deep. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're doing. We don't trust uh, YouTube or Facebook as far as we can throw them, but we, you know, we spent 15 years building there you know, and investing there. And it's kind of like if you built your house on land you don't own in Australia, you know, that's what I did. And I have to own that mistake. Like that's what I yeah. did with Facebook. And, you know, people are always just like, well, just get off Facebook. And I'm like, well, you know, major, major investment, thousands of hours of my life building content on there. So. And, um, and it's still a great tool to yeah. go find those people and pull them into your other platforms. Yeah, and they, they just have functionality that we can't touch. People are like, well, just do it on Telegram. And I'm like, oh, I support groups. of Like right now, we're in the middle of a nine-day Green Smoothie Challenge, 16,000 people in, in one Facebook group. That's just one of the many Facebook groups we have. And, and like, oh, it's just so magical. The billions of dollars they've spent has been spent well, and it is a platform that nothing else can touch. And so, you know, I, I got to respect the uh, the thing that, that Facebook has become. I, I think it's beyond anything that's ever been done in social media. But... Yeah, I think it's going to be like the party metaphor that you talked about. Like they're going to ban so many people and so many people are going to be disgusted with them. It's a matter of time before people move on to something better than Facebook. But, but I think like listening to you, I mean, you see it very clearly. It's an amazingly powerful tool to grab people. But then you also know that it's, it's a censoring platform. And if you say the wrong thing, they're going to kick you off. And so I think you just play within their rules. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm using it to bring people together and then I'll take them into a platform where I can say what I want. Um, I wish I could say whatever I want on Facebook. Book, but I can't. And so I'll just use it for kind of what it is and, and, uh, and, and do, do it as best as we can and pull as many people off of there as we can, you know? Yeah. And you know, like you don't give up ground in enemy territory. Like that's just a basic rule of war and we are at war. So, 
That's the perfect segue, actually, Mark, for you to tell everyone where they can find you. I watch you on YouTube, which is funny because I don't I don't watch a lot of people on YouTube because I like to 1.5 exit. But tell yeah. us where where you would rather that we go, where we're not going to go. Obviously, we could follow you on YouTube. And you have a huge following on YouTube. I want to say you have well over a million followers. And But then like, where would you really have us go that you're doing your best content that's going to be your focus? And everybody write this down and go follow Mark Moss and then cap it off with telling us about your Miami event where they can sign up for it. Yeah. So um, the best place to go to connect with me, depending on where you're at, is just go to my website, onemarkmoss.com, the number one markmoss.com. Um, and, and then you'll find all my social media, everything linked there. Um, I do several videos a week on YouTube, so you can find me there. It's linked off my website. Um, I'm super active on Twitter. So if you ever want to ask me questions, I, I'm super active there. So you'll find that linked off of uh, my One Mark Moss website. My Twitter profile is also One Mark Moss. Um, and so Twitter and YouTube are probably the best places to keep up with me. Um, it's all linked off my website, One Mark Moss. Um, and, uh, you'll also be able to find the information about the event in Miami as well. Um, and basically what I'm trying to do there is that, um, you know, information is, is, uh, a lot of people think information is power, like knowledge is power, but it's not, um, only knowledge that you take action on is power. Uh, the other thing that people really overlook, I think is, um, community community is so important. And, um, you know, a lot of us, uh, maybe have been kind of disconnected from our local communities because we're not seeing eye to eye with our neighbors and whatnot. Um, uh, but the internet can bring us together. And so I think it's so important to get together and meet like-minded people that you can be friends with and work with and stay in touch with and encourage each other. Um, and so I think in order to get through these next couple of years, as I kind of said, I give it about a five-year time frame. I think there's massive hope on the other side, but the goal is to stay alive, but not just stay alive. I believe if we play this right, it could be the biggest opportunity of our life. And so I'm bringing about 15 people in. Uh, Dr. Mercola will talk about health. Um, I have uh, I have uh, some Bitcoin from crypto people. And so we're going to talk about um, the kind of the political uh, landscape, the financial landscape, how to increase your wealth, how to build your wealth, grow your wealth, protect it. We're going to talk about asset protection strategies because they said by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy. I'm not happy with that. So we're going to teach asset protection strategies. Um freedom as an asset. So we're going to talk about offshore living, passports, how to obtain passports, et cetera. I'm actually going to have three workshops, one on uh, passports, one on building cash flow, which is a uh, security uh, with Mike Dillard, and then one on asset protection. So literally like workshops, you can come learn it, build it. Um, and my goal is, like I said, just to give people the tools they need to survive and then build that community. So okay, so all of you guys should show up. I will probably come. I'll probably get over my. I mean, you're in Florida travel. now. Dr. Mercola is going to be there. I think you kind of have to. <laughs> I mean, you should. I actually realized that I have PTSD. So by background, I'm a psychologist, and I realized that I actually have PTSD over travel, Mark. And my audience probably knows this. Like this got millions of views in the alternative media. All the people who want to interview me about it, but it literally got kicked off of Delta for life the night before Thanksgiving. Wow. Last year, I wasn't even refusing to wear the to to um, actually wear the mask, but we didn't wear it from Daytona Beach to Atlanta um, because no because like nobody was asking, nobody was making us, and so we didn't. Yeah. But then like the the heavies were there getting off the plane, and they literally followed us across multiple terminals. They tried to find every excuse in the book to hold us up. Finally, we get to the back of the plane, and that's where. The guy had been following us across two terminals. I was like right straight out of Les Miserables, this whole thing, and and said, yeah, saw my mask slip below my nose, the mask they made me take mine off and replace it because they don't like mine. 
and said, you need to get off the plane. And, and I was like, no, please. Like, we just want to see our families for Thanksgiving. Like my children are waiting for me. I have to, wow. I don't even live in this state. And, um, and he's, he turned around and made the whole plane deep plane and said, we need to disinfect from them. Made an entire jumbo jet. Some like 400 people deep plane. Wow. And then he got off the plane and told them who we were and to jeer at us. And people were swearing at us and whatever. Not one person stood up for us. So I only went on all the alt, alt media channels uh, with that is to say, hey, you guys, like we don't stand for each other. Like I promise you, if I'm on the airplane with you and that happens to you, because I was literally standing up and I was telling the back third of the plane heard me saying, hey, we, you know, we haven't, we haven't, you know, used any aggression towards you. We haven't refused to wear the mask. We just want to see our families. Like, please let us yeah. go see our families. And, um, and uh, you know, not one person stood with us. And so that was my purpose. And to go to say, hey, we are, the, the slide into communism has is pretty complete in the airlines. Yeah. You know, the airlines have been pretty much nationalized and you have no freedom there. And that actually started with the whole, you know, aftermath of 9-11. But anyway, so that's a, that's a thought. I love the thought that not only if, if you're, uh, investing in Bitcoin. I'm, I'm the same as you. Like I don't have time to do any day trading. I just know myself. I know I'm not going to do it. I know I'm not that interested in it. So I'm more interested in the store of value. That's how I've put it to people. And our, and our crypto um, coaches who work inside the Insider's Mastermind, they're more like the scrappier. They like doing it. They love the trading. They do the little micro trades. And yep. maybe they're trying to get to, maybe they just have $200 a month to invest. I'm more interested in like the store of value. Where can yeah. I park it that I don't have to worry about it, that I don't have to worry about this rent moratorium? Like who in who in their right minds would have ever dreamed that coming up in 2020 out of the blue? And yeah. now it's been extended through the end of 2021, even though the social the, the Supreme Court said this is unconstitutional, ruled against it. Biden doesn't care what the Supreme Court says. No, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So you're looking at it just the right way. Like I said, everybody's kind of got their own uh, approach. Everyone's in a different spot. Um, I'm, I'm all for individualism. So, uh, I just want people to be, you know, understand what they're doing. Um, you do what you think is best for you. Um, take the approach. Uh, you have different interests, wants, needs, times, desires, et cetera. Um, and it's great. Yeah. So you guys, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Miami. At least I don't have to get on an airplane. I can drive. It's a long drive, but I'm going to do it. So why don't y'all sign up and I will see you down in Miami. We'll put the link, um, to the event itself. You've been told to go to one Mark Moss. It's always the best idea. Someone who you really like their content, you want to make sure you stay, you know, in, in touch with them. Best, best thing ever is just get on their email list and read their emails. We may not be online for long, so get on the email list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've been watching carefully to see if they're going to like remove us from, you know, they did with the America's Frontline Doctors. They got 17 million views in a few That's hours. Incredible. Remember that? That was in July yeah. of 2020. And it's such Square, a shame. Squarespace deleted their website. So anyway, we won't we won't go too far down that rabbit hole. But the point is, like people like Mark and people like me, we're trying to think how can we survive and still have a voice. And you know, even as we're, you know, I mean, like Facebook makes sure that nobody except people who already feel like I do ever see my posts on my personal yeah. page. Fifteen thousand following, and if it gets up near fifteen thousand, they just take two thousand off. I've seen them do it. Like I wake up the next morning, there's two thousand gone. Wow. They do over and over and over again. So these are these are um, things that I'm looking forward to learning about. Thank you so much for putting this event together in Miami. We'll see you um, then and show no in the show notes. You can uh, click on that link. Thank you so, so much for your time today, Mark Moss. It's been invaluable and super fascinating. Thank you. Super fun. Thank you.